3: presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb,
4: and I'm Julie Douglas,
1: and we are spiraling into the holidays now. The uh, the free fall, the free fall. Yeah, the way I like to think of it, we're, we're done with Halloween, the the sort of fantastic appreciation,
4: mm-hmm. of, the culmination of, of of the year's wonderful uh, events wrought in horror.
1: Right. Yeah. But now we in leave the, we leave those imagined horrors behind, and we get into the the true horrors. Of the holidays, I know,
4: and now I am just imagining like a Hitchcockian Vertigo thing, while all of us falling into this spiral of Thanksgiving and then the winter holidays, and then winter really setting into our
1: bones. It's it can be a very difficult time. I uh, I find uh, you know especially the sort of modern pop culture uh, version of the holidays that we have here uh, in in the West with uh, with, with Thanksgiving and uh, and uh, and Christmas and what have you as well because you you're constantly bombarded with these idealized images of what it should be of this uh you know this this Norman Rockwell family sitting around thanksgiving dinner these uh you know these old-timey christmas images of people mm-hmm. you know uh, gathered around the the fireplace on christmas eve all that kind of stuff so you're having to deal with these these visions that don't really match up with reality all that much and then you're also dealing with all the the added complexities of your life the social dynamics of your family and uh it can in the meanwhile the world is growing darker. The world is growing colder, <laughs> and uh, and and I think you know tapping into some of those primordial uh, fears will will the sun come back? Will warm times and and harvest return to us? Or is this uh, the eternal night?
4: Will that Thanksgiving turkey ever be done? Yeah. That. And I was thinking about this, the the family dynamics on a typical Thanksgiving American Thanksgiving celebration. because again, you you brought up Rockwell, and there's this idea mm-hmm. of the gathering and the everybody gathering at the table and breaking bread. And then I thought, what does that really look like? And, and this is definitely a generalization what I'm about to say. But I thought, you know, what's pretty typical is that you have a mom or some other matriarchal member of the family slaving away in the kitchen, you know, elbows up to, like, turkey guts Uh and stuffing and a little bitter about it, right? Yeah. And then in the other room, you might have a dad or a patriarchal figure sitting, you know, in the chair with the football game on. Mm -hmm. And all the other kids or, you know, other family members gathered around, all watching football (laughs) in silence. And that's, you know, that's kind of a sort of a typical thing. Again, this is the generalization, and not every family is like that. But it doesn't... It doesn't ring like this warm family gathering. It feels more like this sort of forced, okay, we're all going to sit together and observe a holiday. Yeah. And that is when you get to uh, have those family dynamics sort of hanging above the Thanksgiving table like a thick fog because... You know, within that, you have all of the roles of the past that we've played. You have certain aggressions in the family being mm-hmm. played out sometimes, and and it can be a really stressful holiday for people in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, if nothing else, I mean, we're all completely changing over time. So you have these families getting back together. Not, you know, everyone. Not everyone is uh, is at the same place they used to be in there. Mm-hmm. And, and also, you find yourself falling back into former modes of behavior and being. Uh, I've, I've talked with friends about this before, talking about like how long is a, is an optimal visit, uh, especially <laughs> okay. around siblings. Yeah. Because it seems like day one and day two are great because you're still your, uh, your outside, your grown up self. But if you're around your siblings too much, then you start falling into old sibling modes, which uh, can be uh, a, a little stressful.
4: I agree. And, um, someone told me this the other day. They thought, they said, if you think that you have achieved Zen, just mm-hmm. get around your family for a weekend and see if you've really achieved sin. Because as you say, even though you have your grown-up self and you have faced challenges <clears throat> on your own and you've grown, it's really easy to fall into these family roles, especially if there's a dysfunctional element to the family.
1: Indeed. And I, you know, I think there's there's often a bit of dysfunction, at least in any kind of family. And you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of in- inevitable. It's a it's there are a number of moving parts. And as this machine has to churn on uh, over the years, over decades, uh, they're, they're going to get some uh, some kinks in the machinery. And uh, and that's just part of living.
4: Yeah, because I mean, you have to think about a family as like sort of a living, breathing thing that's mm-hmm. ebbing and flowing and changing. The dynamics are changing based on life events and right. challenges in that family. And uh, this is from Lisa Miles writing for Psych Central. She says conflict, neglect, abuse of all sorts, shame, conditional love, faulty disciplinary styles, gender prejudice, sexuality, intolerance, denial of feelings and family facts, which is I think, interesting. Emotional dysregulation, rampant anxiety and much more are ever present in such families. As she just described pretty much everybody. Yeah. Populating the, the earth i think so
1: yeah and i mean and on top of that you do have these you do have all these great memories as well perhaps you know you may have uh you, you have these things that are tying you all together beyond just just blood or living arrangements or shared histories yeah um but it, yeah it becomes a very just complicated dynamic that does not match up with that norman rockwell painting that is not what he painted and or, or was on the cover of a magazine this is a. Uh, this is real life, and uh, there' are so many moving parts to it,
4: yeah, which leads adult children of dysfunctional uh, families to assume one of several roles at the Thanksgiving table
1: yeah now this is this was an interesting uh, reading about this um, I think the, the it ranges from four to six tend to be the given roles, right mm-hmm. and uh and you know it it it's uh what fighter, thief, wizard <laughs> wait, No, wait, I'm sorry that's best that's I wish
4: dragons. i wish
1: now the, uh, the the first one we'll mention here. The rebel and uh, you can if you cannot identify the rebel in your own family environment or mm-hmm. in those of friends, then you've definitely seen it in the media or you've read it in a novel. Uh, this is the, uh, you know, generally generally the kid who's uh, who's always out there getting into trouble, getting into some sort of mischief uh, and also often serving as a scapegoat uh, for other members of the family unit. So that yeah. not only is there uh, misbehavior, uh, a self-expression they become this, uh, the, this, this, uh, this, uh, this mechanism that other members of the family turn to, to, uh, divert attention, to divert blame, et cetera.
4: Yeah. It's kind of the Lindsay Lohan of the family, the Lilo, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and that's where, that's where it's problematic is the scapegoat part because any of the core problems tend to get glossed over because everybody's looking at the kid who mm-hmm. wants some sort of attention, you know, even if it's negative attention. Um And then you have something, which I sometimes think this, the rebel bleeds into this, the mascot or the clown. And that's the kid who is using comedy to help alleviate tensions. And, of course, the problem with that is that if you're always playing the clown, then you're not really uh observing your own true feelings or allowing those feelings to be shown or even really allowing those tensions to play out because you're too busy trying to cover it up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which is which is an interesting one to think about, because I, I often find myself acting like the mascot mm-hmm. in uh, various environments where, you know, I'm going to turn to a joke or some sort of, you know, whimsical observation, something of that nature. Um, and at the time, it will often seem like the thing to do, you know, yeah. uh, but I guess I'm kind of a, a generally a conflict avoidant person. So,
4: right. And it's an easy thing to get to. The problem is that when it goes on and on and on, then you get to you have these sort of uh, recursive behavioral traits mm-hmm. that play out later when you're really having to deal or grapple with some difficult topics, you know, so, trying so to drill often, down to your real feelings.
1: <laughs> so it often comes down to am I playing the long game or the short game in terms of my Thanksgiving, which can be difficult because, <laughs> <so, laughs> yeah. you know, we're talking about even the title of this podcast, Surviving Thanksgiving. It, it brings to mind just the idea of, all right, how can I make it through this Thanksgiving uh, in, encounter with everyone and and have a positive story at the end of it? avoid any pitfalls, and just optimize my Thanksgiving. And you're generally thinking about that one Thanksgiving at a time. If you were yeah. planning like three Thanksgivings ahead, um I would love to meet you because you sound like a, a strange and fascinating person.
4: <laughs> yeah, the rest of us might be a little bit overwhelmed by that. And we will talk about some coping um, mechanisms and behaviors in a moment. But let's get through a couple more of these roles.
1: Yeah, so far we have the rebel and the mascot.
4: Yeah, and of course then you have the good kid or the hero. And that is uh, the kid who's trying to fix the family who often assumes the parental role. And at some point, I think all of us do assume the parental role with our parents just Mm -hmm. by virtue of your parents getting older and you taking on more responsibility. But we're talking about kids who become the responsible ones of the family because there just isn't that support level from the parents.
1: Right. Or, you know, sometimes it's they have to jump in when it's just something out of the parent's uh... Uh, sphere of influence uh, or you know it's a difficult time, mm-hmm. you know so I mean it uh, uh, one thing to keep in mind with these is that uh is that you know one person is not necessarily stuck with that uh that role throughout their life or throughout the even even a, a single Thanksgiving weekend it might right. change, I imagine
4: although I will say once family dynamics are set, we tend to fall into those roles, yeah, but yeah. you're right sometimes sometimes kids can change those roles oh, and, and even in, in a meaningful and thoughtful way as opposed to just Um, now, another role is the lost or the invisible child. And we're talking about the kid who retreats to the shadows to avoid conflict and ends up having a hard time connecting on a personal level later on because he or she is, again, trying to get away from the situation and not confront the feelings or the people surrounding that situation.
1: The name on this one was a little mis- misleading I felt because um the lost child it does bring to mind like a, a almost ghostly entity in the corner of the Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, right. But it also involves just generally externalizing over internalizing so it could also be the family member who you know who visits for thanksgiving but is all but has to leave to go running and is doing their yoga and is also maybe brought their laptop with them to do a little mm-hmm. work on the side is just you know busy 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 whatever you can do to to remain uh, engaged in the external world as opposed to the internal world of reflection and, and remembering and, and and actually thinking about uh, what's going on uh, with your Thanksgiving holiday.
4: Yeah, I think about it as the kid or the the adult who used to be that kid who looks at maybe the rat's nest of the family dynamics and mm-hmm. says, F that. I'm going over here to the corner to yeah. do the following thing. Now, a couple of other roles that come up are the caretaker. That's the person who may assume the emotional well-being for the entire family
3: mm-hmm.
4: or the mastermind. I thought this was interesting. <laughs> this is the kid who might pounce on other family members' shortcomings to get what he or she wants. And oftentimes, parents will just appease the child because they're kind of a pain in the butt. Hmm.
1: Wow. So this really, we, we've really set everyone up for a for a frightening Thanksgiving because here we've talked about the, the complexities of the social uh, dynamics and then these roles, which... Uh, you know for the most part i'm not sure anyone would want to take on the mantle of any of these roles because they all have uh, have at least a little negativity to them and certainly play a role in an, in what could overall be seen as a as a dysfunctional dynamic
4: and i think the key here is the awareness of the role do mm-hmm. you play that role how how do you play that role um how do you subconsciously do it is there a way to to be with your family and not fall into one of these roles, which usually is not helping the situation, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, So that's why we bring up, because we thought, you know, what is it? What is it that we're all bringing with us to Thanksgiving besides our side dishes? And that is one of them, the roles that we play. Now, alcohol and aggression sometimes can play uh, a role here at the table. There's a 2010 study carried out by researchers at the Swedish Institute for Social Research and the Norwegian Institute for Alcohol and Drug Research And they looked at a loss of control and violence uh, in conjunction with alcohol use. And this was based on surveys from nearly 3,000 adolescents and young adults in Norway. And among individuals who reported a high inclination to suppress feelings of anger, a 10% increase in drinking to the point of intoxication was associated with a 5% increase in violence. So the idea here is that those who held in their anger were more likely to get drunk and that that drunkenness was linked to an increase of the likelihood of getting into a
1: brawl. Yeah, I mean think of it this way that in, in order to keep the locks on the anger, it takes a certain amount of uh, of mental energy. And mm-hmm. then uh when you uh when you drink a little bit too much, you are well, the more you drink, you can think of it that way, you're uh, you're softening those holds on the lock and there's a monster yeah. behind those doors potentially and uh, do you really want that monster to br- burst free? At Thanksgiving dinner.
4: Yeah, because we've talked about this before alcohol and loss of control in your Mm -hmm. prefrontal cortex, you know, the executive judgment there, sort of saying, you know what, I think I'm going to take a nap here.
1: Yeah. Now, another study that uh, looked into alcohol and aggression, uh, this 2011 study, and this was published in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology. Uh, it looked at 495 adults, uh, average age of 23 who were social drinkers. Um, they all, uh, completed the consideration of future consequences scale. So definitely one thing to keep in mind here is it's, it's, sort of thinking like, am I thinking about just this Thanksgiving or am I thinking beyond this Thanksgiving? Am I thinking even, uh, two or three Thanksgivings ahead? Short term kind of a- versus long term. Exactly. Uh, and kind of setting us up for disappointment because we've touched on uh, before on how we're, we're, uh, notoriously bad at long term, uh, planning and, mm-hmm. and appreciation of long term risks, et cetera. So uh they all took this uh this they all completed this scale and they indicated how much they agreed with statements like, "I only act to satisfy immediate concerns, uh figuring the future will take care of itself and uh, then they engaged in a fake shot game uh basically they were they were told that they were you know pressing this button and somebody else is pressing the button, and the loser is getting an electric shock mm-hmm. um which again is playing into some, you know, past experiments of sort of just how much of a jerk can you be? How cruel how <laughs> right, can you be? How right. aggressive you can be towards another person even if you can't see them. So, uh, they found, they said the less people thought about the future, the more likely they were to retaliate. But especially when they were drunk, people who were present focused and drunk shocked their opponents longer and harder than anyone else in the study. They said alcohol didn't have much effect on the aggressiveness of people who were future focused. So basically, the take take home here is that drinking enough alcohol to become intoxicated increases aggression significantly in people who lack one particular personality trait. Uh, in in other words, it it plays it, it becomes a uh, it has a myopic effect on people. It narrows your attention to what's important to you right now.
4: So if you're not someone who deals with a long term. Right. In general, and it's just always living for the present. Yeah. Which we, we've talked about as a marker of addictive personalities anyway. Yeah. Um, then you're going to fall prey to this and probably be a bit more, um, aggressive.
1: Yeah. I mean, one way to think of it, one possibility is, uh, if you, if your Thanksgiving holiday tends to involve some sort of, uh, um, navigating of political waters uh, uh-huh. say, you ha- say you have say you have an uncle who is just you know he's he's going to mention uh you know the the the, the most recent uh, election right. and the in the and the, the current political climate he's gonna bring something up that could potentially push your buttons well uh, based on, uh, the findings in this study, you know, it, it, it could potentially be a very bad idea to, uh, to have had alcohol because then you're going to, uh, you're going to be even more likely to take that bait and fall for that bait and then get into an argument that you don't really want to begin with. You know, what's the point of the argument?
4: Yeah, I have. You're going
1: to win your uncle over? No. You're just going to, it's just going to make it uncomfortable for everybody.
4: I have a, a family member, a male who's older, who turns into Ann Coulter after <laughs> a couple of drinks and mm-hmm. it's just not pleasant, which, brings up this idea of the spiral of silence because we talked about this before is that a lot of times if someone is very boisterous and they're voicing their opinion and they seem to be the majority of the group those with minority opinions will recede to the shadows Mm -hmm. because they don't want to be ostracized and we have a whole episode on that so i was thinking about that in terms of thanksgiving and this idea of Suppressing your anger and having alcohol and maybe not feeling as though you have a voice in the matter and mm-hmm. it sort of compounds the entire situation
1: all right well we're gonna have an uncomfortable silence and then we're gonna have a break <laughs> and when we come back we are going to uh roll out some uh, some suggestions some ways to to deal with uh with whatever kind of challenges your holiday encounters may provide you Alright, we're back. So, uh, as you're listening to this, uh, perhaps you're even in the car and you're, you're driving to your, your Thanksgiving, uh, encounter or some other holiday encounter, some other kind of family get together. Um, you may be wondering, well, we've talked about all these, these dangers and pitfalls, but what, what can I do aside from maybe, you know, reevaluate my consumption of alcohol at this uh, year's festivities?
4: You can do something that is so elegantly simple and yet <laughs> so hard to pull off.
1: Yeah, go to go to Disneyland instead. Mm,
4: That is sort of simple in concept, right? right? But there are some moving parts to that.
1: Stay the course. Okay.
4: I'm thinking more of gratitude.
1: Ah, well, it's Thanksgiving, right? That's the supposedly the whole point, right? Be thankful for what you have and what you know. Be thankful for the people in your life, uh, even if they annoy you sometimes. Mm -hmm. Even if you don't necessarily see eye to eye to everything, focus on what. You should be grateful for.
4: Be thankful for the bounty on the table, right? So on and so forth. So yeah, it turns out that this is actually sort of the panacea. This is this is the the shot in the arm that we all need to get through Thanksgiving, and gratitude is important. We've heard a lot about it. I think I feel like in popular culture over the last five years or so, and it's a part of positive psychology. And John Tierney, writing for the New York Times, describes it this way. He says cultivating an attitude of gratitude has been linked to better health, sounder sleep, less anxiety and depression, higher long-term satisfaction with life and kinder behavior toward others, including romantic partners. Hmm. It's all it's all win win stuff,
1: right? Yeah. Now, one uh, caveat there, though, is don't confuse gratitude with indebtedness. Like, don't. Don't take gratitude, gratitude and then twist it into uh, some sort of a a tool or weapon to use against others. You have to you have to to, to draw the line somewhat.
4: Well, to me, that falls in the category of integrity, right? Yeah. You don't do something to be recognized for it. you. It's some if you're doing an act of integrity, it's something that's the right thing to do. Right. Right. You, and maybe someone doesn't even know that it happened. And so, gratitude is the same in that respect where you, you're just trying to be a good kind person and mm-hmm. be appreciative for the things in front of you, the things that you can count as really enriching your life. So the question is like, to what degree does this actually impact your experience, uh, around something like a holiday, like Thanksgiving?
1: So indeed. Okay. This cultivated attitude of gratitude, how's it going to help when, uh, when, when the, 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 the uncle starts, uh, starts into a political tirade.
4: Well, here's a little story about how if you don't cultivate it, you're going to be in big trouble. And this is from the Journal of Positive Psychology. There's a paper by Alan et al. uh, that was published in Volume 8, Issue 2 in 2013. What they did is they followed 172 college students for three weeks around Thanksgiving. They tracked gratitude, positive effect, and life satisfaction through these diary-style entries. And researchers saw a significant Bump in both gratitude and positive effect on Thanksgiving. Um, for that one day, people were more thankful and felt more positive overall. But of okay, course, they, they took those results, but they did some math here and the authors found, not surprisingly, that the relationship between Thanksgiving and life satisfaction varied by participant. They also found that when daily fluctuations and gratitude were controlled for daily life satisfaction and positive effect were actually Lower during the holidays. So, what is this telling us? This telling us this is telling us that people who were more grateful on Thanksgiving were likely to have experienced increased well-being over the holiday. Conversely, those who were less grateful felt uh, a sense of less well-being and a sense of meaninglessness. Hmm. So, again, we're talking here about the negative effects of Thanksgiving being counteractive by actually being grateful and engaging in acts of gratitude. All right. That's all well and fine because, okay, you can be grateful on Thanksgiving and get through it. But how do you actually do that? And according to Sonia Lubomirski of the University of California, Riverside, she says, do one small and unobtrusive, thoughtful or generous thing for each member of your family on Thanksgiving. She says, say thank you for every thoughtful or kind gesture. Express your ad- admiration for someone's skills or talents. Wielding that kitchen knife so masterfully, for example. And she says to truly listen, even when your grandfather is boring you again with the same World War II story. And another way that this becomes really helpful, gratitude, is that it turns out to really shield you against any negative... um overtures, or any sort of criticism that might be levied at you. And in Nathan DeWall's 2011 study, quote, A Grateful Heart is a Nonviolent Heart, mm-hmm. um, he had students at the University of Kentucky write essays. So no big whoop, right? Right. Except when they turned in the essays, some of the essayists had, like, terrible scathing things said to them about their essays. Like, this is a pile of junk. Okay. Now, you had mentioned before that, you know, this is a big trope in these sorts of studies where someone feels, like, violated and they get to exact revenge. Right. In this instance, those students would play a game against the person who criticized them, and they were able to blast this really, really loud white noise at them if they won. And it turns out, of course, that the people who were criticized would blast that noise. But those who were instructed to write essays about something that they were grateful for were less likely to blast that white noise and try to exact revenge. And, and again, this is brought up because that puts you at an advantage in your psyche if you feel grateful for something. You feel less um, angry about stuff or, or less reactive and this is one of the lessons that comes up when you're talking about getting together with family, and you settle into those well-worn roles in which you know your sibling or some other family member can say something to you and push that button <sighs> that drives you nuts.
1: What I like about this is that it it, it almost sounds like a very Machiavellian uh, form of gratitude, you know, like it 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 seems like a like a, a strategy that would be rolled out on Game of Thrones. Uh, when they all get together for uh, some sort of imaginary Thanksgiving dinner, uh, like political movements, how can I, how can I, uh, guard myself against the attacks of my enemies while engaging them in this, uh, in this loving
2: holiday?
4: Right. It may feel, as you say, very Machiavellian, very sort of strategic and planned, but as we have talked about before, when you make it sometimes you make it no, that's, you true. Know, that's true you know if you're extending a bit of kindness sometimes you actually are like hey look at me I'm being kind
1: well I wonder too is it possible to overdo it to the point where then your family members like wonder of what uh, medication you're on or if you were perhaps dying you know <laughs> like it seems like you you run the risk of laying it on too thick but I guess if you're called on it you can just say hey I'm just getting into the spirit of the holiday man there you go. Don't bust my chops.
4: You're like, hey, man, I'm just trying to change the the dynamic of this family <laughs> into a more positive one. Oh,
1: and then you become, uh, what role? Uh, the um, the good girl or boy, the good kid, trying to, to pull everyone back together.
4: Or the caretaker.
1: Yeah, or the caretaker. Yeah. yeah.
4: Um, now, John Tierney, writing for the New York Times, says you could always practice the uh, it could always be worse tactic. And he says when your relatives force you to look at photos on their phones be thankful they no longer have access to a slide projector when your aunt expounds on politics rejoice inwardly that she does not (laughs) hold elected office instead of focusing on the dry tasteless turkey on your plate be grateful the six-hour roasting process killed any toxic bacteria i like that
1: okay well there you go there's an uplifting way to look at it just (laughs) remember that it could always be worse it could always be infinitely worse there may be no limit to how bad it could be. So
4: yeah, you just have to yeah. kind of meditate on that. Yeah,
1: just think of the, the worst image and you could possibly occupy your mind and, and whatever your, your current situation is, it couldn't be that bad.
4: And if you want to continue to be benignly Machiavellian, mm-hmm. you could try to actually manipulate the environment too.
1: Oh, okay.
4: Hack into a little nostalgia of the people who are attending this Thanksgiving dinner.
1: Ah, uh, yes, yes. Nostalgia. We've, uh, we've discussed this before. Um, we did a whole episode on it. Nostalgia, of course, is is a very bittersweet element to employ. Um, you know, we've, we've all engaged with it. Uh, sometimes we, we seek it out over and over again because it, it takes us back to the past in a way that's comforting and yet also uh, just we can't touch it. You know, it's it's gone to us. It's You know, it's it's like that moment where you're, like, with, with me, I'm, like, sitting there, I'm watching uh, an old uh, film board of Canada animated short with, uh, with my son, and, like, nothing... Could feel nicer, and yet it's it's also depressing at the same time.
4: It can be, but in studies, and we covered this in that nostalgia episode, I believe there were uh, instances in which people were in cold environments, mm-hmm. and then they would think oh, yeah. about some sort of nostalgic thought and actually feel warmer. Yeah, so I it's think really you, powerful. Yeah, in that and way. I think
1: the the net benefit is positive, but it it's it's a it's a complex cocktail yeah. uh, to uh, to to imbue.
4: So take care when you're hacking into nostalgia. I think is what we're saying.
1: Yeah. Now, um, how do you hack into nostalgia? Well, uh, obviously, uh, anytime you're getting together for some sort of a, a family event like this, especially, you know, Thanksgiving and, and, uh, and, and Christmas and Hanukkah and all these other events, there's a lot of ritual in them. There's a lot of repetition. And I've seen it uh, put before that the repetition and memory are basically the same movement. One reaches backwards in time and the other reaches into the future. Um, so there are lots of things to be nostalgic about. We've touched on some of these before. It might be just be as simple as that football game in the living room. Maybe you're nostalgic about, Rooting on a certain team or watching a certain sporting event—it's—it's all the food uh, items that are uh, that that end up uh, getting cooked up in the kitchen. It's the smell of those food items, Uh, those recipes. It's the decorations that are hauled out year after year. Maybe it's a particular board game you always play. There, we have these these rituals that we uh, engage in. Uh, often year after year after year, often generation after generation even.
4: Yeah, I have to say that when we have family get-togethers, I put together a playlist that I know touches on everyone's sort of favorite music, and
2: ah. um,
4: that way everyone is delighted at some point. And, again, it brings up those feelings of nostalgia. And another thing that we tend to do, especially in Thanksgiving, is we make something called strawberry stickies, which in my husband's family, like, folklore, like... the and history are like this vaunted, like, wonderful dessert.
1: Oh, well, what are they? It's a-
4: basically like chunks and chunks of butter that are melted with sugar, strawberry, and then pie crust all rolled together okay. and cut up into these little strawberry stickies. But it doesn't matter what so- sort of mood anyone is in or if someone has ill will against us, if we bring the strawberry stickies... <laughs> we tap into nostalgia and we're golden
1: okay and then also you're i mean you're by the mere act of bringing something too you're also uh, you're, you're sort of employing a bit of gratitude in there as well it's a it's a complicated weapon a multifold weapon that you're uh, employing against your enemies each year
4: and yet a yeah. uh, heart is pure when we are making the strawberry stickies. <laughs> only trying to please others and we talk like that while we're making it
1: okay so so you've talked about ways to hack into nostalgia with music hack into nostalgia with food uh, I wonder if there are other ways that one might might utilize uh, a little nostalgia to their benefit.
4: I bet you guys listening have some ideas on this. Yeah, we we need your information. We need your feedback. Here. Yes,
1: those those Machiavellian uh, holiday uh, uh, revelers out there, I'm sure you have some tricks up your sleeve, Thank and you. we would be delighted to hear about them. All right, so let us know. But in the meantime, uh, if you get a chance, maybe you're you know you're you're, you're taking a breather from uh, your holiday, and you want to. Uh, get on your phone or your computer or the family computer or what have you, go to stufftoblowyourmind.com because that's where you'll find all of our blog posts all of our videos and all of our podcast episodes uh, going way back to the very beginning. Episodes you can't even find on iTunes anymore. You will find them at the website. And we'll make sure that there's some uh, Thanksgiving-related material right there on the front page for you. Past episodes that we've done uh, on related topics as well.
4: And if you have some thoughts you'd like to share, you can do that by sending us an email to blowthemind at howstuffworks.com.
0: What are you waiting for?
1: Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com.
2: Top Two is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches.
0: All right, let's talk strategy.